Hey, hello. Hi, Indian. How are you? Doing all right. Awesome. Um, do you want to stay camera off or? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay camera off. I, I usually do. So it's it's not just a you thing or something. Okay. Um, well, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Um, I'd love to start with just kind of a general um, introduction of you and your kind of um, the expertise and perspective you're bringing to the topic. And just to clarify, so I tweeted a while ago about the issue of uh, changing demographic data and how it uh, is likely impacting marriage rates and the um, way that Americans are marrying. And you were one of the loudest, um, uh, most vociferous uh, disagreers with that uh it tends like, to be the case yeah yeah and so you even wrote a whole blog post about it and so i wanted to get you on to kind of dig deeper into um where we disagree and specifically uh had some some questions for you but yeah if you could just kind of introduce yourself and your perspective i'd appreciate it yeah um so you know i i you know i go by indian bronson ib uh you know any any moniker works um and uh, yeah you know i mean i i have a day job but uh but i like uh, i like to blog about um things i find interesting and uh you know the you know I, I think there are a lot of you know sort of like tech twitter people who you know they'll they'll kind of dip their toes into uh, into some of you know the contemporary discourse around men or women and fertility and stuff like that. But uh, what what bugs me is that it's usually very superficial. Um, it's sometimes like, huh, it's kind of weird. Birth rates are falling, and you know it's sort of left there. Um, but I think it's actually one of the most important and interesting topics there is because uh, this is literally. You know, it's just how the species reproduces, uh, <laughs> you know, and if you, if you stop and think about it, it's like, you know, everything from, you know, are we going to colonize Mars to, uh, you know, what, what are what are our gas prices going to be to, uh, you know, can the Ukrainians field, you know, X many troops against the Russians or whatever. You know, all of this stuff kind of comes down to how many people we have, uh, how many people we have, what kind of quality they are. Um, you know, if we if we can provide for ourselves, you know, everything from housing prices to uh, to, you know, like sort of more lofty goals about, you know, the future of, of a civilization are basically innately tied to this. Um, so it's it's something that uh, I think about a lot. I read a lot about um, and uh, yes, <laughs> loudly disagree about on Twitter uh, when, when I have a perspective to share. Great. Yeah, I love that. And um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, fertility is super interesting. I think I'm less interested in it, particularly and more is just kind of a bucket of issues that are super interesting to me. Um, sex, gender, feminism, economics, all these things. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, so I wanted to get into, uh, essentially, I'm looking at a, a list of problems that seem to disproportionately impact native born American men. And um, I'm of the belief that these problems are to some extent, to varying extents, uh, very interrelated to each other. And then I have four potential solutions. And I wanted to get into with you, your thoughts on 
um, particularly the uh, normalization of free female breadwinners as a potential solution to these problems. But first I'm gonna go through, just kind of list the problems. They're obviously like broad categories, but I wanted to just ask you whether there's anything that you feel like is salient that's not on the list. So the list is low and declining labor force participation rates, wage stagnation, loss of economic mobility, loss of status, changing gender roles, deaths of despair, atomization, radicalization, grievance politics, violence, and populism. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so one, one thing I would note is that a lot of these problems, um, you know, I think they're more visible among native born men and there are some selection effects, uh, among immigrant men that kind of like fuzz the data. So like, you know, uh, let's, let's take the bucket of all men who, do immigrate from Latin America to the United States, uh, including those who, who immigrate illegally. And let's take the bucket of all men who can immigrate to the United States from, let's say, you know, Eastern Europe, uh, South Asia, East Asia. Um, you know, if, if those are the only two things that you know about, um, about them, you know, whether they come legally or whether they come illegally or, you know, what region they're from, uh, you know, that there, there's a lot that travels along with that, right? So like, you know, if you look at, um, you know, just immigrant men's wages in the United States, it's like, yeah, there are a lot of, you know, Indian and Chinese men with very, very high incomes, but it's like, you know, that's not necessarily the modal immigrant man to the United States. Um, so, so I think a, a lot of the problems that you highlight are um, very visible uh, and very real with native born men, but uh, it's, it's not actually limited to them. Uh, there's a great paper by, uh, I think, Brostrom, and uh, I forget the other guy's name. I'll try and find the link. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they find that uh, actually, you know, not so educated men and male immigrant labor, you know, they both get exposed to these kinds of, um, you know, the, the vicissitudes of, uh, of industrialization. Um, a lot of male labor uh, basically gets displaced when, when that happens. Um, and that, that certainly did happen to the United States as well. And I, I, so I think that, I think that uh, that's an important thing to keep in mind. But uh, yeah, I mean, let's start with, um, you know, uh, what was it? Let's see. Thread time theory for low education native born men. The American dream is dead. Uh, not working or going to school. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's like, you know, why why should a man work or go to school? Um, you know, what is what is the purpose of, of work and going to school? Um, you know, there's a great uh, you know, there's a great acronym. Uh, NEET, N-E-E-T, you know, not in education, employment or like jobs training. Um, and that, that describes an increasingly large share of American men. It describes an increasingly large share of Western men, I would say. And it's like, you know, people, people will look at this and they'll say, well, ah, well, why won't these men just, you know, man up and do something with their lives? It's like, well, what, you know, what does it mean to do something with your life? Uh, like, what is the point of having career aspirations and working hard and doing all of these things? Um, and, you, you know, I, I typically find this, this, this charge is coming from kind of, uh, you know, the right wing. Um, you know, a lot of right-wing commentators will be like, well, men aren't masculine anymore. Men don't try anymore. Um, but they, they never ask. It's like, you know, well, maybe this is a rational choice that a lot of these men are making. You know, maybe they're, they're surveying the landscape and they're saying, mm, I'm not going to try so hard. I'm not going to do so much work. Uh, and I think it's intimately related, actually, to kind of the collapse in sexual mores. I think it's intimately related to uh, a collapse in male gender roles uh, being economically necessary. Um, and also the lack of social valorization for them. Um, and I think a lot of, I think a lot of young men are actually making a very rational choice to just not try so hard. 
So, okay. Um, if the reason that men are becoming neat increasingly is because it doesn't make sense to work hard, why is this affecting men more than women? Yeah, uh, I mean, so let's, I mean, you know, if I, if I were to just ask um, and like, you know, what, like, you, what year would you expect more women than men began enrolling in post-secondary education, like two four-year college programs in the US? Hmm, that's a good question. I should know this. I'm gonna guess 1970. Yeah, so that's so that's uh, approximately right. Um, it's uh, let's see, it is 1979. Is total fall enrollment um, went went above uh, you know men for women, uh, and and yet you know when we when we think about equity in higher education, it's only very recently that people have have noticed that there is this sort of shortfall um, year over year over year. Uh, it's just you get a more and more feminized campus, you get more and more programs for women, more and more deference given to women, an easier time to be admitted if you're a woman. And it's like, you know, women are half the population. Uh, and, and we now have this, this situation where campuses have hugely lopsided sex ratios. Um, and yet, you know, I think if you proposed uh, affirmative action for men, I think if, if, you know, someone were to say openly, like, look, you know, men need to be admitted into universities uh, preferentially over women, you know, how would that play? Uh, I mean, people would freak, people would freak out if you said well, something like I that. I mean, two, two points. One, it's my understanding, I mean, I know this is true in, in private schools that uh, men are receiving preferential treatment in, in admissions because there is such a strong gender gap. So that's, that's already happening. Um, yep. But my second point is, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing the connection between why, yeah. Yeah, so, so, so the, the, the reason this is, this is a connected thing is it's like, you know, if you, if you were to tell people right now, I, I think if you were to tell the majority of people right now who hadn't said the issue, um, hey, you know what, we actually need to prioritize men's access to higher education over women's in order to have a more equitable and fair campus. Right. That can be true. And in fact, it can be pursued. But if you were to say that, like this, this has to be the marching order of the day, people react very negatively to that. Um, I think I think a lot of people would be like, oh, no, that seems wrong. It seems unfair. Um, I think largely society has a bias towards women where we see women as more vulnerable. We see women as needing more help. Um, you know, people, people feel bad for women in a way that I don't think people really feel bad for men. I think people expect much more resilience out of men. I think people expect much more agency out of men. I don't think that's a bad thing either. Uh, I think men are more resilient. I think men do have more agency. Um, and that's, this is just a, 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 the nature of being male. Um, but I, I think, you know, we, we got so far out over our skis um, in trying to give women a leg up in the workforce, give women a leg up in higher education, that we created a system where, you know, actually a lot of men are just totally uninterested in those things. Um, they just, they don't find those environments really conducive to their success. They don't feel welcome there. And so that, yeah, they just opt out from going. Uh, they just don't care about those places anymore. Do you think that 
men by and large are actually discriminated against in education and employment? Uh, particularly in primary education in America's public schools, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, so so like you know, people people talk about this all the time with behavioral issues. Uh, boys are significantly more likely to be disciplined for acting out, for you know being restless, for talking out of turn, you know, essentially being boisterous, loud young boys uh, than than girls. Um, female students are much better behaved. Every every teacher will tell you this. Um, the the model students are very rarely. You know the boys. It's it's very often girls. Um, planned, structured, uh, obedient uh, environments are yeah. They're they're filled with women. <laughs> you know this is not. It's like not an accident. Um, you know, kind of rowdy, uh, cantankerous. Um, you know, uh, unstructured environments. Uh, you know, of, of like intense competition. Uh, yeah, th these appeal to men. Uh, these appeal appeal to young boys. Um, and so the more that we've made institutions, uh, and it's not just education, it's a lot of institutions of life, the more that we've made institutions highly credentialed, um, very controlled, uh, very much governed by bureaucracy and process, uh, the more female they get and the less male they get. Um, and men kind of go and do other things. Okay. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I did a Twitter poll today about why people think uh, men are, having the lower labor force participation rates and a lot of people pointed to the bureaucratization of the hiring process and just being eligible for jobs and i do think that credentialism is a is a big problem not just for the gender question but for american growth um, but i wanted to get into the possible solutions for uh what's happening with native-born men so i have four um, they're take women out of the workforce and or depress female wages, implement a universal basic income, try to boost male wages, or destigmatize and normalize a female breadwinner model of marriage. And before we discuss the other, well, I guess actually before I do anything, is there a solution that's not on this list that you support? Um, sort of. Uh, it's it's. Uh... I mean, kind of, kind of remove the barriers to male entry. Um, so I think there are just there are a lot of. Um, uh, I'll, I'll put it to you this way: so for for a few years there was this movement called "Ban the Box." Um, uh, I, you know, stop, stop me if you've heard this one. I have. Um, I know what that is. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So, so for the benefit of of people who don't know, um, there was this campaign to remove. Uh, you know, it's like there's a box on a job application that's like, "Hey, are you a sex offender? Like, have you can be convicted for something?" Blah 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 blah. And it was like, well, you know, if we get rid of that, um, then more people with criminal backgrounds will be able to get jobs. They'll be able to reintegrate in society. That'll be good. Um, and uh, I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you could guess. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I do favor uh, discrimination against sex criminals and and uh, you know murderers and felons and stuff like that. I, I think people should should be able to know whether or not that's happening in their in their workplace. Um, but I, I do think that a lot of these uh, you know programs that are like, well, let's destigmatize, let's decriminalize, uh, let's normalize, you know, these sort of marginalized peoples. I think if you translated those things uh, towards men in academic institutions, um, a lot of you know, uh, let's let's call them tech and uh, tech adjacent jobs. If you did that, and and more men were basically given a chance to just you know do work, um, 
things would be better. Uh, so that's that's what I would propose is, uh, you know, let's give <laughs> let's give Native American, you know, just just imagine every native born American man between the ages of 17 and 22 is like a, is like a progressive darling. Just like just, you know, imagine imagine this is the illegal alien sex offender. And it's like, OK, how does how does the most left wing person uh, you know, operate towards this person? How do they ensure that this person goes to Harvard? How do they ensure that this person gets a job uh, at Google or whatever? Like, let's do those things, but just do them for like native born American men. And uh, we'd see their fortunes improve. I, I, I think that's just true. Well, that's an interesting idea. Um, I guess one thing that I would say as a counterpoint is that what we've seen is that the seemingly vast majority of left-wing, uh, the majority of things that are being tried seemingly to raise the fortunes of left-wing marginalized communities are not working. Um, so I would agree they're not working. I think, I think mechanistically they're good ideas, but uh, they, they, they don't really understand the people that they're trying to help. Um, I, you know, we, we, we could, we could, we could get deeper into that, but, um, but I so think it if, doesn't if seem all... like a similar set of programs aimed at men as would work better, or are you saying for some reason it would, I, I think, I think it would work better. Um, I think, I think it would work better. Um, I think there's a reason base. I, I mean, you know, just to, just to be like totally blunt and, and like, you know, we, we, we can explore this or not. I think the kinds of people who, uh, often commit felonies, um, the kinds of people who have like the impulse control that, uh, you know, maybe is associated with, you know, sex crimes and stuff like that. Um, I just don't think a lot of those people can really be helped. Um, uh, I, I think they need, you know, they need something besides independent employment. I think they need something like a more supervised sort of lifestyle, um, you know, it, it essentially to be wards of the state in, in a certain way. And uh, so I, I, I think that's the reason those programs often fail. But I think if those programs were offered to people that do have, you know, the conscientiousness and the self-discipline and like the wherewithal to compete, um, then they would do very well. Yeah. So let's get specific. Like what exactly should should we be doing for men? Yeah. OK, so, so you know, one one thing that I think would be really good for for young boys and, and, and men in the United States would be, uh, you know, stop stop pathologizing male behavior. Um, so the the uh, sorry, one sec, get a knock on the door. Sweet Amazon delivery here. Um, okay, uh, yeah. So, so one thing that I think is really gross in the United States is is how overprescribed uh, SSRIs are, how overprescribed uh, antidepressants are, how overprescribed uh, ADHD medications are. Um, and and you know, people people can can offer the explanation that well, you know, we're just we're a lot better now at recognizing, you know, oppositional defiant disorder. We're a lot better at recognizing ADHD, and you know, because of that, there are more prescriptions. I, I, you know, I, I really just don't buy it. Um, you know, I, you know, there, there have been a lot of civilizations besides ours. Um, there have been a lot of uh, periods of societal bounty besides ours. And, uh, you know, the rule in a lot of them, um, you know, we have a very charming phrase in, in English, you know, boys will be boys, um, you know, and the, the ability to let young, young men, you know, boys and young men be, a kind of rowdy to horseplay, uh, to uh, to be exuberant, uh, to compete with each other, uh, to fight. You know, I mean, like 
you know, one, one of the nicest things that I think the Jesuits do, uh, and this, this might not be a uniform thing, but I, I, you know, I know they do it at some schools, is uh, boys are allowed to fight, but they have to put on boxing gloves and it has to be in front of everyone else. And they, you know, they just have to, you know, if they want to have it out, they can. Um, I think that's a great thing. Uh, I, I think, I think, you know, sort of friendly, but not so friendly competitive combat between young men. Uh, this is, you know, my, my, my brothers and I, we roughhoused all the time when I was growing up. Um, and that kind of behavior is pathologized and uh, circumscribed and, you know, it's, it's not allowed in, uh, in a lot of uh, sort of systematized, you know, overly bureaucratic educational environments. Um, but I think if there were much more leeway essentially given to typically healthy, you know, male behavior, um, we'd see better outcomes for men. Yeah, it's definitely seems like a stretch to me, especially the fighting element, since I think violence is kind of one of the problems that we need to address. Um, but more broadly, I would say that my main counter argument would be, we seem to be the United States and the industrialized world seems to be moving into an economy where demand for rowdy, exuberant, um, violence prone labor is declining and demand for labor, which is um, more feminine, uh, you know, the ability to sit still for hours at a time and uh, learn new things and especially uh, emotional intelligence, demand for that kind of labor is increasing. And so I, I think guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's true. Um, but but I would I would offer I would offer two two things, uh, not really to counter that, but two things to consider. Um, you know, writing poetry and uh, making food are two activities that are very very feminine coded. Um, but you know, if you look at if you look at classical literature, not just in the Western canon, but but globally. Um, and if you look at, uh, you know, sort of like the, the, the pinnacle of, of culinary excellence, you know, you actually get a lot of dudes <laughs> who are poets and who are chefs, right? Um, and so I, I think, you know, it's, it's true that uh, a lot of skills within the knowledge economy, a lot of um, work product within the knowledge economy is produced by having access to and capability with things that are often, you know, female coded or things that you know, are sort of unrelated to physical strength and, and uh, you know, exuberance and much more related to like a, a more quiet, uh, thoughtful internal life. That's totally true. And it's totally true that a lot of women will excel at it where men fail. Um, and yet there's this question of male excellence um, in almost every field, uh, including in fields that are female coded, you know, you very often see that the overwhelming majority of the most excellent, most impactful, most dynamic people are male. So there's that, there's that one thing to keep in mind. Uh, a, a second thing, and this is, this is kind of a narrow example. Um, do, you, do you know what uh, gastronomic societies are? Uh, this is, I, I, I learned about this in the last year because I went. So in San Sebastian in Spain, up in the Basque country, there are all of these little fishing villages. San Sebastian's, you know, kind of the biggest city that, that has this going on. And uh, as, you know, industrialization took hold, um, you know, there was this situation where a lot of these fishermen, a lot of these, these men who, you know, worked these kinds of jobs, you know, just didn't have that much stuff to do with their time. And so they formed these private kitchens, which were, you know, basically they would rent out a room, they would build a kitchen there, 
and then they would uh, they would just cook for themselves and drink. <laughs> like they they just they had these essentially these like multi generational frats where like you know the old guys were handling the money and the young guys were made to clean up and something like that. And uh, you know it's they're they're Spanish. I mean they're Basque men. They're not you know forget Spanish men. They're Basque men. And so you know these were these were kitchens where women were never allowed. Um, th these are, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll repeat that cause it's very funny. It's like, you know, it's like the, it's like the opposite of women belong in the kitchen. These are kitchens where women were excluded. <laughs> they were like no girls allowed. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that situation lasted for over a hundred years. And, uh, and then, you know, Anthony Bourdain went, uh, you know, I think there was some Netflix documentary, um, you know, like you know, all, all of the Michelin starred restaurants in that area, they'll talk about these gastronomic societies. And, uh, you know, suddenly the push is on for women to be like, uh, look, we want to we want to break down the gender barrier. <laughs> we wanna, you know, this is part of our culture, too. We want we want to get in the kitchen. So, um, you know, and this is this is literally just guys being guys for like over 100 years, just like having a good time by themselves and like, you know, creating an entire culinary tradition. And yet women want to break into that. You never really see the opposite of that. Um, it's it's basically like I can't think of a single thing, and I think we could spend time and try and think about it of a thing that women have spontaneously organized, or that women are best known for, or that is like overwhelmingly female, where men are just clamoring to get in. Um, well, that doesn't computer seem programming is an example. Uh, I don't think women really created the field of, of programming. Um, I mean, yeah, I know about Ada Lovelace. I know about, like, yeah, I mean, you know, Grace Hopper, all of that. But, like, you know, if, if you were to go to the year 1970 and, like, <laughs> you, know, you were to ask, like, what like what are the gender ratios in computer science? Like, yeah, they were a little bit more even than, than people would suspect. But, like, but over time, it's, like, you know, you know, why, why is it such a male coded thing? Um, I don't, I don't think it's accidental. I don't think women were just like shoved out. Um, you know, I, I think like we have to be realistic about like certain things that require an immense amount of fixation, a high degree of competitiveness, um, that don't reward agreeability, that don't reward consensus seeking and which do reward kind of like a dogged pursuit of truth at all costs, of doership at all costs. Um, these these are environments and 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 social functions that are really hostile to women, or women perceive them as hostile. Um, and I, I think that's the reason for the gender imbalance. Uh, and so, like you know, yes, it's 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 true that maybe there are a lot of things about the knowledge economy that are more feminine coded, but. I think um, just a dogged pursuit of excellence and spontaneous organization of things that have value, uh, these seem very male-coded to me, actually. Uh, and so I, I don't think it's really true that, um, you know, the, the indispensability of men will be dispensed with. Uh, just the opposite, actually. Well, just a point of clarification, you do see that men tend to be clustered more so at the margins um, at least of intelligence and probably also of certain kinds of performance. Yeah, yeah. And so that means that, yes, they are disproportionately represented at the top, but they are also disproportionately represented at the bottom. Um, yes. So just wanted to include that. But uh, so it sounds like what you're saying is a pretty um, popular uh, solution to at least the wage gap, which is encouraging men to enter traditionally female dominated or female coded fields. 
Uh, no, uh, not not entering traditionally female dominated or female coded things. I would say just like take the barriers away from men. Um, you know, there are a lot of artificial barriers uh, that are designed basically to promote women um, or to make things sort of, you know, quote, safe for women uh, that I really don't think are necessary at all. Um, what are some so examples? Yeah, so so recently, uh, do you remember the blow up at the Washington Post with uh, Felicia Sanmez and uh, I forget what's his name? Dave Weigel. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, he <laughs> he retweeted some joke. I forget what the joke. It was hilarious when I saw it, but I forgot it. Um, I think he's still suspended too. You know, like the world has moved on. But like, you know, he retweeted some joke, and uh, and this 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 female journalist um, whom whom he had come to bat for was just like. You know, is this an environment where women can feel safe and do our best work? And it's like, it's it's retweeting a joke. You know, it's 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 just it's words on it's words on a screen. You know, you can just not look at it. And uh, you know, the the hysteria over over these kinds of things, where like, you know, yeah, you, know, you can lose your job, you can be fired, you can be you know sued. All of this, all of this stuff over things that are really kind of, uh, you know, not that important. Um, if those kinds of barriers to just guys being themselves weren't present in universities, weren't present in the workplace, um, even if it is non-physical work, uh, yeah, you would find plenty of more men uh, willing to go to university, plenty more men willing to, to enter the knowledge economy because they wouldn't uh, feel just totally put off by it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for every anecdote of workplaces being hostile to men, you've got Matt Lauer having a a button on his desk that locks the door to get out from the inside. So I guess I'm I'm curious about evidence that. Yeah, I mean, but, but like we can like I mean like we can we can just like you know we can put guys like Matt Lauer in jail like <laughs> like this is you know th th this is the thing like it's like, it's like it's like yeah I mean but 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 like we could um, you know this, could. Is, this, is, this is but the I question think is, is is the workplace and education uh, systemically biased against men and and one anecdote is not getting done for me so i i'd want to know more about how you know what what are these barriers because one yeah. journalist getting suspended about a tweet does not convince me yeah yeah so um look i mean you know i think i think one of the best contributors to this um is richard hanania and he's he's spoken about this before about uh, just like the feminization of society, Tyler Cohen has written about this as well. Um, you know, it's it's not it's not like you know there's a, it's not like you walk into you know it's not like you walk into like a big uh, tech company and it's just like it's just like a gaggle of evil HR women saying, "Hey, you gross man, you better watch it or we'll fire you" or something like that's not what happens, right? Um, but the 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 social decorum that you're forced to follow. Um, the like sort of courtesan etiquette that's expected of everyone, um, the way in which people politic within the workplace, uh, the way in which, you know, just actual raw output of good work is viewed as less important as, you know, supporting a team or less important than, you know, fostering a, an environment of welcoming or stuff like, you know, you know what, what, what is a fostering an environment of blah, blah, blah. It's just like, what about just doing the work and doing it really well? Um, you know, things like that. Uh, these, these basically just disgust and put off men. 
uh, they don't like it. <laughs> I mean, like we have to, I think on some level, we just have to be realistic about that. Um, that, you know, men and women are not the same. They are, they are not genetically the same. They're not socially the same. Uh, you know, their hormones make them act in different ways. Uh, they find each other interesting sometimes, but, uh, you know, they don't find each other interesting actually as equals. They find each other interesting as men and as women. There's a, there's a polarity between them. Uh, that becomes fraught in a workplace. You know, these are rules that we're sort of figuring out. I mean, you can look at a chart of, of female labor participation in the workforce, and it's like, you know, not so long ago in the 1960s, you know, there are many industries uh, of, of life, many spheres of life where it would have been unusual to have unrelated women just around all the time. Um, and so if we're, if we're going to be in this, in this environment, if we're going to have this kind of parity, um, we either need to figure out different rules, uh, and I think Jordan Peterson has made this point, or we need to be, you know, kind of realistic. You know, how much can we feminize uh, every last one of our institutions, educational, technical, industrial, financial, uh, and still expect men to be involved or, or to care about it if okay. we also know that, you know, high performance is, is typically a male thing, overrepresentedly a male thing. Sure. Here's my question now. So what we've seen is that the top men are going to succeed taking your, let's, let's uh, assume that certain aspects of the workforce have to be more masculine or more feminine. Um, there's a norm and it can, it's hard to be in the middle. You really, or, or you're going to go one way or another, let's say, maybe there is a middle, but neither of us are interested in it. Um, it, under a feminized workplace, the top men are going to succeed no matter what, and they are. Um, the women of all kinds are going to succeed more as well. So the only people who are really uh, screwed in that situation are uh, middling and low-performing men, men who don't, I don't have... Really, I don't really think that's true. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't really think that's true. Like, you know, no one really. Um, okay, do, do do you know do you know who the uh, the 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 youth poet laureate of the United States is? Amanda Gorman. Have no. you have you seen her poetry? Okay, no. yeah. I mean, her her poetry is just shit. It's just complete dog shit. Um, I mean, it's just it's really bad. Like her last two big publicly posted poems, like she she like clearly doesn't know what a participle is, or she's like just or she's just like winging it. Uh, like there's a there's a typo in one of them, and it's like, come on, what's going on here? Um, when, when a lot of these institutions sort of get captured um, by an effort to make them accessible, to make them you know, friendlier to women, et cetera, et cetera, like this, um, not only does the, the quality just degrade, because you've now set a, a standard for entry that is not quality, right? Because you're measuring something else, you're going to get something else. Um, but quality people actually don't want to stick around. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's true that you get a certain type of man who succeeds in very feminized environments, but are these actually the best men? I don't, I, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that's true. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe actually the kind of man that succeeds in a very feminized environment is just like good at kind of gaming feminized environments. Uh, that might not be the same actually as, as, as just producing really, really high quality output. Um, well, yeah, and, and this gets to this question of like, what do we want to see more of? Uh, is an excellent point and gets to the other part of my question, which is 
again, going back to the fact that the economy is likely to demand more um, labor that is compatible with a more feminized work environment. So, yeah, it does, um, yeah I, I think that's true. Um, I think like, you know, if, if we just like, you know, extend that 50 years from now and we say, okay, is it really going to be true that, you know, the, the, the bonus of testosterone and more muscle mass and greater bone density or whatever is going to be as relevant to the economy as it was in 1920? Um, no. Almost certainly not, because of because of mechanical automation and and, and you know computer automation. Um, but is it also going to be true that women are going to want to marry men who like have good incomes? <laughs> yes, it's also true. And so like you know if the second part of the question is can't we just normalize you know a female breadwinner role? I'd say the answer is no, because uh, women are not really wired to want that. Um, and a great example is actually like the tall girlification question, which is which is why I had that huge threat. Like, um, you know, it's like, you know, women almost universally have a stated preference for for male mates that are, you know, significantly taller than them. Men almost universally have a preference for female mates who are just a little bit shorter than them. And so they're actually at odds. And uh, typically the way it works out is that you know, really, really tall men are universally desired by women and really, really short men are universally not desired by women. They're actually found not so desirable. And so, you know, you have men in the middle, height is normally distributed, by the way, for both sexes, but, you know, you have men in the middle who, uh, you know, <laughs> you'll, you'll see like kind of pathetic things where like guys who are 5'11", they're like saying they're six foot on dating apps or whatever. They're really, you know, they're just trying to get through the filters or whatever. But, you know, the way it, the way it fleshes out is basically that, um, you know, when, when marriages actually do happen, um, you know, the delta of those differences in spousal height also follows a normal distribution. You know, the water actually finds its level, um, you know, for those marriages that do happen, the number of marriages is obviously declining as people delay marriage, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but those, those two, you know, biologically driven preferences of men and women do actually resolve themselves with almost all spouses being taller a male spouses being taller than their female spouses, um, but just by a little bit, not by by a huge amount. Um, and I, I use the word tall girlification to talk about uh, other female preferences, because if we're talking about, you know, female breadwinner models being normalized, it's like, well, but even very educated women prefer men that earn, earn more than them. Um, you know, even as this woman has become less, you know, tolerant of more of the dating pool, she actually still has this upwards desire for a man that earns more than her. And there are just fewer and fewer men that earn more than her. Um, and we, I think we should, we should grapple with that specifically because it's like, well, can you just invert this biological desire in women to have men that are taller than them and earn more than them? I don't think you can. Uh, and so if we set society up uh, to such a degree that men have, or that women have, you know, earnings and parity with women, um, you know, we're just, we're, we're inevitably going to have problems. We either need to redistribute wealth to men <laughs> or we need to just, you know, tax women. Um, you know, like, you know, maybe we shouldn't even enter into that scenario in the first place. I guess my question then, I mean, I kind of hate to leave the question of macroeconomics, but um, let's definitely talk about female breadwinners. That's why we're here. Uh, I can buy that, obviously, 
obviously not, not everybody agrees, but I believe that a certain, uh, then it, our preferences are a result of nature and nurture. And it's very difficult to disentangle which is which in any particular preference. Um, probably a preference that is pretty universal over space and time is uh, has a biological origin or a biological component or an evolutionary component, a preference for big boobs, small waists, uh, height. Uh, these are these are probably evolved. But I would argue that something that's also evolved is a female preference for status. Um, there's the beauty status trade, right? Where mm -hmm. men have traditionally looked for women who are beautiful and women have traditionally looked for men who have status. Well, I think there's a lot of evidence that um, two things. First, that this beauty status trade isn't necessarily uh, as hardwired as we think it is because we see it changing. Um, we see that most uh, pairings now are fairly assortative where you're right, most people still uh, prefer and choose a marriage where the man is slightly is more educated and is does earn more money but the difference is narrowing over time um and the second thing i would bring up is that i think what we've seen throughout history and uh very dependent on context is that the the definition of status changes and so what uh, marks a man as high status at one place in time doesn't mark him as high status in another place in time. And so I guess I'm curious about why in a society where uh, male labor is more valuable than female labor uh, and most uh, men are wage earners, it would make sense to have status be dependent on salary. But in a society in which female labor is more valuable than male labor, um, I, I don't know why status would need to continue to uh, be based on on salary. Yeah, so so this is this is a good point, and uh, it, it's it's also true, by the way, that um, uh, so like you know I think I think uh, mm, I think it was probably Rob K Henderson where I saw this, but um, he he does this uh, lovely thing. Everyone should follow him on Twitter, where he will just post excerpts of books that uh, I might otherwise buy, and then I can just read the excerpts and find the PDFs and you know not buy them. Uh, thank you, Rob. Um, but yeah, no, it's like you know men who are firefighters uh, who don't earn as much as say men who are you know brain surgeons um, are actually probably significantly more desirable uh, to women just on face value for like for a lot of reasons, right? It's like, you know, think of think of the average man who is a firefighter and his, you know, just his physical appearance and his body and like all of that. And then think of the uh, the average man who is, uh, <laughs> oh, let's let's say let's say he's a he's a he's a quantitative trader. Uh, you know, he's he's uh, you know, he, he works on walls. He's a quant. Um, you know, these are these are two very different kinds of men in, in the aggregate. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, for this other guy to be as desirable as, as this firefighter, you know, he has to kind of appeal to sort of like a long term, uh, some would say venal, uh, you know, he has to appeal to this kind of long term, uh, you know, more to, more forebrained desire on the part of women to have a kind of a provider. That's that's totally true. Um, but the thing is, it's like, you know, a lot of men are actually dropping out of earning entirely. Um, and there's, I think there's a threshold of some doership that women will always expect. 
And, uh, you know, if you have more and more men dropping out of earning entirely because they've just, you know, they've made the decision to just sort of, you know, content themselves with video games and porn and, you know, not work so hard. Uh, it's got to be really hard to try and flip status, you know, either which way, because it'll be like, who wants to marry a broke guy, right? Um, and and secondly, you know, it is true that, um, you know, status is not always linked to uh, to money, right? You know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of young broke guys who do really, really well with women who are high status in whatever kind of social circle without having that much money. And there are a lot of uh, men who have money who find that it never really quite purchases them status. Um, but what isn't fakeable and what isn't uh, mutable is that women love men with status. And so if you have an economy and you have a society that is set up to constantly more or less degrade men and promote women so that women have equal status to men as often as possible in every institution in which male can, males can you know, distinguish themselves, um, <laughs> you're not going to have a, you know, it's like, look, you just, you just took away the thing that makes men sexy to women. Um, you know, it's like, look, if you, if, you know, even, even if that thing is just like, wow, you know, Diego, he, you know, he cooks a mean broth and he's in this uh, kitchen just cooking his broth all day. Isn't that something, right? Well, then if you, if you just flood that whole place with women, it's like, yeah, women can cook just as well as men too. And it's like, well, then it's not a sexy thing that the Basque guys are doing anymore. You know, these grizzled fishermen with their, uh, their pots and pans cooking all that, you know, you just, you just exploded that. Um, and so this, this is a very uh, annoying tendency of feminism. It's a very annoying tendency of liberalism because one of its core values is just egalitarianism at all costs. Um, we, we consistently destroy the polarity between men and women, the, the differentiation between men and women, not just in a physical sense, but also in a status sense, right? And yet yeah. we have these genes and these hormones where, you know, men want to do and women want to see and, you know, women want to look upward at this man they admire and men want to cherish this, you know, frail, tender thing that is a woman. And, and we just keep taking that away. And then we wonder why things don't work. And it's like, that's why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think... That's a really interesting point. And I think that it's the concept of status, I feel like is really underappreciated in that status is necessarily uh, zero sum. And that, yeah, if it is a, a true eternal that women are attracted to status, then uh, shifting women's status upward, which necessarily means shifting men's status downward is going to lead to a, a, you know, a decrease in pairings. And, you know, we are seeing a decline in sex for sure, along with the decline in marriage and childbirth. Um, and so I, I'm definitely not, you know, I, as I said, I think these questions, these problems are interrelated. And so I do think that the, the, the loss of status um, is related to, to, to the lack of sex and lack of marriage and yada, yada. Um, I guess what I'm curious about is, can't we redefine status um, in, a, in such a way that comports with economic realities? So where status in an environment where demand for male labor is high would be performance in paid labor, could status for men in an environment where demand for male labor is low, look like 
homemaking look like uh, domestic uh, care look like uh, child care look like yeah um, uh, yeah the, you know the the, the the parallel answer to this is like um, so I'll, I'll give you the answer and then I'll, I'll I'll pose the parallel question you can't negotiate or game genuine desire this is this is not a thing that you can fool people into um, and so a, a parallel version of this question um, was often asked um, in the, the kind of the early days of the red pill manosphere by a lot of incels where they were like, how come all of these women like these exciting, you know, jocks, these assholes? Like, why do women like these guys that treat them badly? Don't they love me for me? Like, I'm such a nice guy and I'm doing all of these things. And how come women don't want that? And it's like, bruh, <laughs> because, because men are men and women are, you know, it's like, what are you even asking? Right. And, and uh, a, a kind of a, a common uh, thread among among all of these, you know, incels, uh, among these these kinds of these, you know, these you know, sympathetic. I'm actually very sympathetic to them. But these, you know, these guys who are like a little bit losers, uh, you know, posting on the internet is like, well, can, can't we just like, you know, convince the women that like, you know, actually, you know, this big lunkhead, you know, she she she, she shouldn't go out with him. She should go out with me. And it's like, that's not that's not how desire works. That's not how want works. And, you know, everyone, everyone wants to be wanted, you know, to be wanted is a, is a very lovely, wonderful thing. Um, you can't fool people into that. Uh, you can't, you can't trick people into that. And, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying where it's like, well, well, what if we just reorganize society? What if we had, or, you know, what if we just, you know, signaled in the culture that, you know, these men are actually high status and, you know, women, you should be okay with marrying them. And, you know, men, you should look on these women differently because these women are actually very high value. Your your ideas and your instincts about them being low value aren't true. And uh, yeah, it just doesn't work that way. Um, you know, you might as well try to tell the surplus of very, very tall women who can't find a date. Hey, look at all these short guys that are running around, these great guys who are really short that also can't get a date. And it's like, it's it's not going to work, <laughs> you know. The, you know, maybe the short guys could, you know, there there are many things about tall women that are very nice, and namely their legs. Uh, but like, but you're not going to get all of these tall women who who can't find a guy, you know, to suddenly prioritize short men. Uh, some of them may, you know, it, it happens occasionally. Dennis Kucinich's wife. Uh, you know, famously, there were this DC couple where it's like you get this 67 year old gremlin and you get this like beautiful, tall redhead. That's like they're married. And uh, but but it's very rare um, because nature is what it is. And and you really but can't. We've already it. pointed out that this analogy is quite imperfect because as hardwired, so to speak, as a preference for height may be uh, an, an estimation of status is much more malleable. It's I wouldn't even necessarily say it's malleable as in like we can mold it, but it is all, it is changing. It does change uh, according to. Changing uh, only in the sense that those few marriages that are happening, right? Like we, like, you know, the marriages that are happening now, um, you know, are basically among very, very high conscientious educated people, you know, mar marriage and fertility are actually disjoint in the United States now where most marriage, most uh, births in the United States are now happening out of wedlock. Most children born in the United States, and for, for some time now, it's, you know, I think it was, it was, it's been true for several decades among African-Americans, um, but you know, among, among whites and Latinos, the numbers have risen to the point where actually most births are now out of marriage. Um, and so you get you know, fertility happening among low conscientious people 
and you get marriage happening much more frequently among high conscientious people. Um, but it's like, you know, but the marriage rate, the number of people getting married is very, very small. So it's true that, you know, oh yeah, all of these female PhDs, they're getting married to other male PhDs. Clearly this means that, you know, uh, women's estimation of, of men needing to be superior to them is dropping. It's like, no, it's just that like PhDs are a very small segment of society. And like, if they're going to get married, they're so highly socially assorted, you know, through college, through, through a PhD, through a postdoc, that like the only other guys that they know who are single are also PhDs. Like that's actually what's happening. Um, and like more and more women are just not getting married. Uh, the marriage rates are plummeting. Um, so I, I do agree that among those marriages which still happen, the, uh, you know, the degree of, of polarity between a man and a woman in terms of markers of status of like income and education are dropping. But like in the rest of the world, uh, like in the rest of the population, it's just it's total chaos, um, including chaos that is just like frankly worse for kids because kids do better in a married home. And like that's no longer the norm. It's like no longer an expectation. Okay, well, I still have many questions, but we're running out of time. Uh, I would love to schedule a whole nother hour to talk about uh, what I would describe as your uh, slut shaming hypothesis, but- um, <laughs> Sure, yeah, I'm, I'm game, I'm game. <laughs> awesome, I really appreciate your time. Um, and where can people learn more about you? Uh, they can learn more about me by going to keeper.dating. Um, yeah, so I'm putting I'm putting uh, putting my effort where my mouth is. Um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna fix the fertility crisis. We're gonna get people coupled up, uh, and they can also find me on Twitter if they search Indian Bronson. And there will be some angry quote tweets and uh, <laughs> spicy replies that'll take you take you right to my profile. <laughs> awesome! Thanks so much, Indian. Have a great afternoon. You too. Take care.